This is Thursday, February 1st. Do you remember as a child thinking about who the good guys were and who the bad guys were? Our simple minds as children seem to easily be able to sort people out. Often in the movies, the bad guys wore dark clothing and stood in the shadows. Sometimes they were scary. But on the other hand, the good guys were bright and shiny and they smiled. It was easy to tell them apart. That's the way it was in Israel at the time of Jesus. Very clear lines separated the righteous from those who were unclean, and the two learned to keep their distance from each other. Here's the setting we were given, we are given for Jesus' lost and found parables. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the Pharisees were the moral policemen of the day. They circulated through the land looking for people unfaithful to God. I think their motives were good, but oft and often their lives were exemplary. It's true. But they missed the point of their calling. Their job was not just to keep order, but to go in search of stragglers and those who had gone astray. Instead, they became masters of self-righteousness. Jesus sought out the broken and discarded people of the land. And this brought a hot criticism from those religious leaders. How could Jesus eat with these people? In their day, you ate with those like you. You gathered with people in your social and spiritual set. That meant you steered clear of people who were notorious sinners, people who were considered unclean. But Jesus not only visited in the house of sinners, he also invited them to join in his band of disciples. He had his, in his entourage of followers women known to have had evil spirits and at least one who had been a prostitute. Now this galled the Pharisees to no end. As Jesus shares his parable of the prodigal son, he has two challenging opportunities. First, he wants those considered to be sinners to know that the Father loves them, to know they can always go home. But he also wants the religious leaders to see their arrogance and self-righteousness and see that they need grace just as much as anyone else. You can see the challenge this is. Now, in other cultures, there are stories similar to the one Jesus tells about the prodigal son. But we don't know of a single one where the father welcomes the son and loves him unconditionally. In every other story, the son has to do something to restore himself. He must make things right. But not in Jesus' story. The Father does it all. Now, this just doesn't square with the way we believe things should work. We have to do what we can to remedy what we have done wrong. We at least have to be sorry. But the Father waits for none of this. Immediately, he initiates the restoration process for his prodigal son. Then the Father must also go out, leaving his party to find his older son. The father pleads with him to go into the party, to join the celebration. 
But Jesus doesn't tell us how the older brother responds. He wants to leave his story incomplete because at the time, this was still a question to be answered. Would the religious leaders understand the grace of the Father and welcome the prodigals home? When we reach the end of Jesus' parable, the guy we thought was the bad guy has been restored. And the good guy, well, we're not so sure about. This reversal of perspective is a bit disorienting. Now, I think Jesus is showing us the danger of religion. The more we practice our faith, the more easily we can come to believe we're not like the sinners who, are, who surround us. We're better. We're closer to God. We are good people. We no longer have the struggles common to man. And as a result, we can develop a self-righteousness that we believe grants us the right to judge and criticize other people. Now, this is the irony in Jesus' parable. For example, Jesus speaks about the 99 sheep that are not lost and don't need to be found. There's deep irony in his words. Those 99 also need to be rescued. The righteous need saving too. I want to spend the rest of our time today and tomorrow looking at what the older brother says to his father. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 29 to 30. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now the first thing we note is the lack of respect that we hear from the older son. He doesn't use his father's title, nor does he speak of his brother as his brother. Instead, there's a disrespect for his father and a denial of his brother. In speaking this way, it sounds like he's denying his place in his own family. Second, he says he's been slaving away from his father. He's not seen himself as his father's son, but he's been living in his father's house with the spirit and attitude of a slave. For us, our hearts can also be there when we believe our relationship with God is transactional. We think we've been faithful serving God, and as a result, we feel like he owes us. The older son says he's never disobeyed his father. Even if this is true, and that's not likely, there's a boasting in who he is. This is how he sees himself, above his brother, and perhaps even above his father, because his father has done wrong in receiving the prodigal and throwing the feast. Then the older brother accuses his father of favoritism. He's been gracious with his brother, but not with him. And the older son also shares what joy means to him. It's having a feast with his friends, his family members, while they're not even in the picture. And finally, the older brother attacks his younger brother. There's no indication that the prodigal wasted his money on prostitutes, but this is the accusation that his older brother makes. Now we hear this speech, and how can we not see ourselves in one way or another? 
How many of us have expectations of God because we feel we've been faithful? Or how many of us have not at times lapsed, its, lapsed into a judgment of people we deem to be less spiritual? Jesus' parable is a wake-up call to us to consider that we too must be saved by grace. God loves us freely and not because we've been good people, not because our lives are together. Of course, this is the good news of the gospel. Wherever you stand, you are loved by God. You're forgiven, and he stands ready to restore you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for thinking ourselves better than those around us. We need your grace today and every day. Thank you that you come out to us to invite us into your feast. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.